Hello, I'm Arvin Hickman and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. According to the experts, climate change is the greatest threat facing humanity, yet action towards tackling the problem is often slow and insufficient. Businesses have a critical role in helping economies reach net carbon zero in the race to protect our planet from the catastrophic impacts of climate change. But how do businesses effectively communicate and advertise their efforts to consumers without fear of being called out for greenwashing? It's one of the great challenges Adelaide must overcome to not only become carbon neutral by 2030, but help business partners along the way. The good news is that some companies and agencies are producing inspiring work to that effect. In November, Campaign partnered with the Advertising Association to host the AdNet Zero Awards, which showcased the very best of work and inspiration in this space. In today's campaign podcast, one of the winners, tech giant Hitachi and their agency Mamapool will join us to discuss the awards, their work and how brands can run effective campaigns without fear of being called out. To begin with, I'm joined by campaign's premium content editor, Nicola Merrifield, who attended the campaign AdNet Zero Awards and has written a lot on this topic. Nick, how's it going? Yeah, I'm, I'm all good. Thank you. Yeah, it was um, it was great to get on to the awards last week. Um, um, yeah, and I'm great grateful to be able to talk about it here. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, are you enjoying the World Cup? Are you enjoying the Christmas ads chaos? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's probably just chaotic in my life because I haven't done my Christmas shopping yet. Oh, so um, yeah, but it's all good. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Now you recently wrote a piece about brands being scared of greenwashing or what was termed in your article as a Python squeeze. Can you explain what this means and the challenge that brands face? Yeah. So um, that was the Python squeeze comment was actually a comment made by um, uh, somebody who done some research in this area. So Jessica Long, head of sustainability and ESG at consulting firm Ipsos Strategy 3. But the mouthful. Um, she was presenting some research um, that she'd done with Google at the AdNet Zero Summit at the start of November um, on attitudes to environmental sustainability. And she started the whole piece by saying, it's no secret that brands are feeling this Python squeeze of sustainability from literally every angle. Um, there's the regulatory uh, changes that are coming in some places from, uh, you know, there's government pressure, investors and, and stakeholders are looking um, at this more closely. She said in some cases, there's even net zero outcomes being linked to executives pay. Mm. So that's where the pressure is coming from. Um and then in the piece that I wrote, I kind of explored what that means for brands. Um, and that I was just speaking to some um, agencies and one leader said to me about, you know, there's quite a fear around greenwashing. Mm. Um, so the uh, Advertising Standards Authority and the government's own Competition and Markets Authority have been carrying out investigations into brand campaigns. Um around, you know, whether they are greenwashing, which is essentially misleading consumers about um, how sustainable your product or service is. What were some of the key findings? So uh, there's been a ruling by the ASA recently um, around an HSBC ad. Uh, the bank ran some poster ads showing sustainability projects that HSBC was supporting, but it ended up being banned because there was no acknowledgement that the bank was also financing businesses that make significant contributions to harmful gas emissions. Mm. And we've also had other examples. We've got Purcell um, said that its detergents were kinder to the planet, but the ASA said the language was um, vague, and unsubstantiated and misleading. And of course, you've got the oil and gas majors who are always being accused of greenwashing of, of some sort, aren't they? Yeah. And then now you've got the CMA. This is the government body. It's launched its Green Claims Code, which is offers six guiding principles on how to avoid greenwashing. Um, but they are also doing, you know, 
investigatory work into the fashion sector at the moment. They'll move on to others. Um, and so far it's ASOS, Boohoo and Georgia Asda that are kind of uh, being looked at. So lots happening. And I think that's that's what I was talking about in the piece about, you know, that it's really important to do this kind of work, but also there is a fear. Mm. It's really interesting, isn't it? When you say that there's a squeeze, that there's obviously a squeeze from lots of different directions. Uh, is one of those directions consumers? Are, are consumers genuinely concerned about whether a company shows that they're sustainable or not? Or are they more concerned about things like the cost of living crisis or, or things like that? Well, one of the things that um, the joint Google research found was um, when they were asking consumers about this was that 78% of people agree that climate change is as serious as the concern as the rising cost of living. And that also doesn't change significantly across different income levels. So it's quite a multifaceted and, and complex issue, isn't it, really? Yeah, there's <laughs> many things to consider. Um, yeah. it's, it's not straightforward. Yep. Now you attended the campaign Adnet Zero Awards in London recently, and I believe you've been quite you know, heavily involved in them. Um, I just want to, can you explain to our listeners to begin with, what is Adnet Zero? What, what does that actually mean? And what's the industry trying to achieve here? So it's an industry-wide initiative that's been set up by the Advertising Association. Um, and the mission is for uh, immediate industry action to help um, achieve uh, net zero carbon emissions. So that could be by reducing carbon emissions, but also possibly upset, offsetting them, uh, secondly. Um, and then that's to achieve that, it's through the development, production and media placement of advertising. And the goal is to achieve it by the end of 2030. Which sounds like quite a lofty ambition. Uh, let's talk about the awards themselves. Uh, I believe we partnered with the Advertising Association, didn't we, in hosting these awards? Yes. Uh, how was the event? It was fantastic. Um, it really showcased the best campaigns and initiatives um, from across Avant that are sort of tackling environmental issues in different ways. Um, there were these sort of sector-specific categories we had, so retail, drinks, finance, those kind of things. But we also included specialist categories um, so that there was a broad scope for the industry to really show how it's progressing behind the scenes. So, for instance, we had winners in categories such as the Green Media Plan and the Best Business Transformation. Um, so, yeah, I, I find it really heartening to see such a range of work initiatives. Um, I learned there are so many different ways to make a difference. So it could be changing production techniques. It could be providing free communications advice to climate charities or the kind of big one, which is producing campaigns that prompt a change in consumer behavior. Mm. And what were some of the winners that caught your eye? Um, uh, well, we can, we're going to speak to... Um, <laughs> Mamapu and Hitashi. But um, I also was really interested to see uh, there was a TV series on reducing food waste that was created um, between Hellman's and Mindshare. Mm -hmm. There was also um, a collaboration between Vauxhall, Meta, Starcom and Shuttle Rock. And they produced a campaign that showed customers how much cheaper electric cars are to run than petrol cars. And that was via an on Meta platform ad unit. So essentially, it was using data to show customers how electric vehicles are not just good for the environment, but also more affordable over time. So just loads of different ways of looking at this. Uh, if our listeners want to learn a bit more about the winners, um, you can visit the website, campaignadnetzeroawards.com. Fantastic. Thanks, Nick. Joining our podcast today is Hans Dams, a COP26 Director and Group Public Affairs Officer for the technology giant Hitachi. Welcome, Hans. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Um, also joining us is Tom Pinsent, the co-founder of Memopool. Hello, Tom. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. You're most welcome. Now, before we dive into the work, Tom, you come from a strategic planning background. I, I believe you've worked at Publicist Group, Ogilvy and other agencies. Memopool is quite a new agency you set up fairly recently, and some of our listeners may not be that familiar with it. 
Uh, can you give us a brief rundown of your agency, why you set it up and what it does? Yeah, so we, uh, we started during lockdown, actually, um, when um, me and uh, my older creative partner, um, Jason Mendez, who we'd worked together for three or four years doing um, global marketing for Saatchi's and publicists and Leo Burnett. And we sort of realized during lockdown that, that there was so much talent all over the world and that we actually didn't need to be in offices anymore um, and that we could actually work more efficiently with um, with freelance talent who wanted to get their work done, go to the beach, start a cooking school, whatever they wanted to do um, without offices and without jumping on planes. Um, and actually, that was the way the world had to be for the next for the foreseeable future anyway. And because we'd worked on global brands, I lived in Japan London, Jason had been in Australia. We'd, we were used to this way of working anyway, where we'd have you know remote teams in different parts of the world working on global business. So we just saw it as a more efficient way to do business. But I think the longer we went on, the more we realized, actually, this isn't just about efficiency and better creative and strategic work. It's actually the future in terms of production. Um, and, and so, you know, Hitachi was our founding client and we produced 20 films for them, I think, in the first year, none of which involved jumping on a plane or shooting on location because we couldn't. Um, so we kind of learned how to remote film, um, how to use stock footage um, and, and, and really found it to be a better way, not just a cleaner way. I think we're going to touch on on one of your films, uh, award-winning films, I should say, in a moment. Hans, uh, how did you enjoy the campaign AdNet Zero Awards and, and why do they matter to you? Uh, it was absolutely fantastic. The, the, the venue was amazing. It, it was also fantastic that all the food was vegan, which was absolutely delicious. And to really show through action what differences people can make. And... It is fantastic to win such a prestigious award, but at the end of the day, independently of the award, I think it's good for the recognition which we got for doing something different because we really wanted to show through the, the film which we made with Mamapool that um, if you want to really work on climate change, which we as a business is key and central in our strategy, that choices will have to be made and we made for a clear direction that was going to say that we wanted to have a zero carbon film and we wanted this to be the first one in the world but also we learned how a huge challenge this is eh? and we've been very clear in communicating from the beginning on what we were going to do and we've also been extremely clear to everyone watching the film about what we achieved in terms of our carbon performance. Now, the film that you created with Mamapool is called Racing to Zero, and it champions Hitachi's partnership with the United Nations Climate Conference, COP26. Uh, just uh, we've got a, a brief clip here for our listeners. Have a listen to this. Films always try to make a big impact. This one made none at all. To some, carbon zero are just two words uttered at summits. Two words for the future to worry about. To others, carbon zero is not something you talk about. It's something you do.
Tom, can you describe the campaign? What was the brief that you received and how did you come about creating the idea? Yeah, well, the, the, the brief was an incredible one, one you sort of wait your whole um, career for. It was um, a, a phone call from um, from Han saying, we're sponsoring COP26. What do we do? Um, how do we promote this amazing partnership? And maybe Hans will explain why they wanted to um, why Hitachi wanted to partner COP, with COP26. But um, when we got the brief, we immediately we immediately went to two places. We went, first of all, there's going to be a lot of talk and a lot of films and a lot of greenwash around COP26. And we knew one of the, the themes were going to be kind of you need to do, not talk. And that the time for... Um, the time for carbon offsetting needed to kind of stop where people set goals, um, carry on polluting and then say at some point in the future, we'll plant a few trees and, and, um, and that will, that will make us all reach net zero. So we knew those sort of topics, the, the time for doing what needed to start and, and, and the time for kind of carbon offsetting needed to stop. We knew those were going to be themes and, you know, uh, we'd worked with Hitachi by this stage for over a, a year and myself and you know I'd lived in Japan for a while and I sort of know that the Japanese are very good at doing but not very good at talking um they like to quietly get on with things and and that kind of so the idea of kind of doing not talking kind of felt like it was an interesting area because it was very true for Hitachi who for a hundred years have been doing this stuff you know they're actually doing it now they're producing zero carbon transport trains parts for electric vehicles, 800 volt inverters. This wasn't, it felt like we could actually talk about what we've done and what we're doing rather than um, just saying we're going to do something in the future. And um, so we, we knew we wanted to kind of do an act, not an advert. Um, and then we kind of hit on this idea of, I was watching Formula One one weekend and I saw that this was a, a zero carbon production. And I thought, this is Formula One zero carbon production. I dug a little bit deeper into Albert and it was all being offset. And, and that was where we sort of had the idea, well, maybe we can do this for real. Maybe we can actually do a film with zero carbon. We had no idea it could be done. Um, and when we talked to Hitachi, they didn't have any idea it could be done. We didn't really even have a script for a long time. Um, but we thought that would be an act worth doing to to, to see if we can actually do a film without without carbon in it and without offsetting. Okay. And then can you describe what, what's in the film, the content of the film? And how did you do this? What, what would people see if they saw the video? Um, yeah, well, it's kind of the whole film is sort of a metaphor, really, for how we're going to reach net zero. The film starts um, very dark with someone walking along the beach and you don't know where they're going to go. Um, and slowly the lights come up and you see that she's on a bicycle pedaling very slowly. And the faster she pedals, the more light we can see and the more people we can see pedaling. And they eventually they accelerate. Um, and we see that, that, that the bicycles are hooked up to a projector and that they're generating this power and this light. And then you see the projector come on and you see that they're on a beach and the projector is um, projecting a film with all of Hitachi's low transport options, trains, um, electric vehicles, electric buses onto the white cliffs, white cliffs of Dover in this very natural surround. Um, and then it, it, it informs you that this is the world's first zero carbon powered with zero emissions. 
And, and I think that's important eh, to highlight that we wanted to do this in this natural environment because the original idea was to go and find somewhere, a, a, a train line where we could film the train passing by. But we actually thought that one of the most iconic places which exists in the UK, which is the White Cliffs of Dover, which are unfortunately also menaced by climate change, that but by filming there and by projecting, not using any carbon at all on the White Cliffs, we were actually showing what we are doing. And that was very important from the beginning. And that was always what was central in, 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 the, in the talks with, with Mama Pool was we want to do what we are saying and we want to say what we are doing. And that is very essential for us as a brand. And I think it's only very rare where all of these things come together. And in this case, it was us as a principal partner for COP26. I just wanted, but you could also explain to us how exactly you produced it and how you prepared an advance. I think, Tom, you just mentioned about Albert, if you could explain what that tool is and tell us a bit more about the actual nuts and bolts of how, how you can even go about doing this kind of thing. Yeah, well, we made um, the first call we made was to Albert and they put us on to AdGreen. They said they, they're just in charge of broadcasting and films. Um, they don't do um, uh, advertising. Um, so we spoke to AdGreen and they talked us through. They didn't actually have their tool up and running yet. We were, it was even before AdGreen had got started properly, but they put us on to um, natural capital partners who so so right from the beginning they were the carbon auditing company independent carbon auditors um uh and so we worked with them really right from right from the beginning uh uh, we hired a rattling stick who were very very keen and ivan bird to get on board and 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 they were they were incredible all the way through they really got the the hardness and and the impossibility of this but wanted to embrace the challenge. And um, so, you know, we didn't know if we could do it. Um, Hans and the Hitachi team were incredible. They said, look, even if we don't do this, we'll learn so much. And the challenge, almost the effort, is what's important, not the achievement and accomplishment. And so, uh, yeah, we uh, Rattling Stick said we want to shoot it on a beach. It's going to be near a Hitachi train stop and it's going to be near where the director Ivan Bird lives. So he could get to the set by bicycle, <laughs> recce, and everyone, a lot of the people could all get there on the Hitachi HS1 electric train. So, so for starters, that was it. Um, we worked very, Rattling Stick worked very closely with a, 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 a bicycle guy who had, who had, had, had done this sort of thing before, he used bicycles to power projectors. Um, but back and forth over a three-week period, they worked out the wattage we'd need, how many cyclists we'd need, and we needed seven. So you can see three on camera, but there were four um, <laughs> amazing cyclists. We also asked some of our staff and employees uh, to join and to come to pedal. And what's amazing that some of our colleagues actually cycled all the way down to Kent overnight to come and cycle d- during the day. Uh, um, because we couldn't get anyone there in in, in a petrol car, of course, and uh, and uh, people coming there by electric car, we needed to be sure and ensure that they were going to charge the car from a, a, a green provider. And to come back on the employees, that was nice because it also helped us to create internal visibility 
an engagement around this, which was important because a lot of the comments around was afterwards on, on LinkedIn and other social media. I also, correct me if I'm wrong, but I understand that the average film shoot would normally emit 33 tonnes of CO2 per day, but you guys reduced that by 97.5%. So you ended up with just 0.75 tonnes of CO2. Yeah, so we weren't able to... Uh, you know, and we, we always knew that the, the film would highlight this. So, so trucks transporting heavy equipment long distances is still, they're not there yet. On the, the electric trucks don't exist. So we knew that, that getting the equipment there would be a problem. Um, so, and, you know, and that's a problem people are working on with hydrogen, and, uh, but the batteries are not yet there to do that. Um, and that's a huge problem. So we had, we had carbon emissions there. Um, similarly, the medical vehicle, um, not the, the, the charging infrastructure isn't reliable enough yet. So we had carbon emissions there. Um, uh, and, and so, and, you know, the hotels that people had to stay the night. Um, so whilst we were able to power the whole film from dawn till dusk, carbon zero, there were emissions um, elsewhere in terms of getting, getting, getting people to the to the site, and you know, and even the trains themselves, you know, they're they're, they're, they're they can run zero carbon, and that that Hitachi train is one hundred percent electric, but you don't know where the power is coming from. You know, if there's no wind or or solar at that point, the train's running. You know, it might be running on um, uh, gas or other or other um, electric unclean electric sources so um so there were huge issues that were highlighted but we still i think you know 97 percent reduction 0.7 tons you know natural capital partners had never seen anything like it um the minimum sort of they had seen you know we had to buy i think five tons was the minimum offset that that they gave us and we we were we were 0.7 tons. Yeah, it's an interesting point that you raise about how difficult it is with current technology to get to zero um, organically. Uh, and you also mentioned before that you're, you don't like this idea of carbon offsetting. Do, do you think it's realistic? If we look at the ad net zero target of 2030, do you think that's realistic given that production in itself currently, it's, it's almost, I imagine, impossible for it to be done um, net zero? Then you've got to think about where the content or ads are running on and, and how you reduce the carbon footprint of, of you know, TV pr- production, um, also TV broadcasting, um, digital, digital broadcasting, all of these different factors go into that ecosystem. What are your thoughts about that? What are your thoughts about how realistic it is, given your experience, for the industry to get to sort of carbon net zero? Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, well, we should separate net zero, which includes offsetting. Um, so, you know, with offsetting, of course, we can uh, we we can get there. Whether you know, we probably don't want to go into the val- validity of offsetting. Uh, you know, what that really means is that we plant a forest now, and hopefully, in fifty years' time, it will it will have paid back. With regards to the fact that <laughs> the weather systems might have trans- changed and wiped that forest out, but. Regardless, I think enormous can be done and enormous things can be done in reducing flying. Um, and that's probably one of the biggest, the biggest problems shooting has. And, and we've found uh, just in the two years we've been working, there's no need to, to jump on tons of flights. I think it's also what we wanted to show with the film eh? is to say that, look, things are going to be incredibly difficult. And no one should be under any illusion here that they will find the, the, the answer to climate change on their own. So it's all going to be about how the industry 
and how clients are going to come together to actually meet our targets. And, and everyone is now saying by 2030, by 2040, by 2050, what's going to be the, the, the objectives which they have in terms of their emissions. Um, and it's going to be difficult and choices will have to be made. And the world is not going to be the same as before because climate change is happening now. And it's by the decisions and by the, the choices we all have to make, uh, once again working together, that we will have an impact on what the world will live and we will leave for future generations. And that's exactly what we wanted to show in this film. And I think we've, 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 we've achieved that. And that's why it made such a exciting uh, recognition to win that film, and win the award for this film, which is all about the, the messaging. Yeah? And it's all about how the, the what and the how come together in what I think is an extraordinarily powerful film. But Hans, if the if the choices if the choices are painful or or expensive or are not necessarily better, then I think we're going to really struggle. But I think we're getting to a stage now where CGI is so advanced, where you can remote shoot that um, you can bring production home locally, or or stock footage again has hugely come on leaps and bounds just since lockdown that I think we're getting to a stage now where we don't have to, the default solution isn't to jump on the plane to Eastern Europe or South Africa. There are, there are other options and they are, they are coming down in price and they are going to be cheaper. Um, you, you look at the latest, how Star Wars is filming those Star Wars things. They're using circular stages and CGI. I have the feeling though that some of these choices will have to come from, from clients. Absolutely. Brands saying, Sorry, we do not maybe want to have this most high-definition shoot which we can imagine, uh, or we do not want to fly and do a, 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 some shooting in the most exciting part of the world. Maybe we can all do it in, in a different world. And I think we've shown by our film that a relatively small production can, in the same way, if you do it in a very creative way, be very effective in delivering a message. Yeah, and it wasn't, you know, by by advertising standards, it wasn't a hugely expensive sheet. So, so I guess what you're saying in, in, in some roundabout way is that uh, brands and agencies will need to consider craft and how much they sort of invest in production value and these sorts of things and make some hard decisions um, to make ads that are much better in, in terms of their carbon footprint. I don't think there should be a trade-off in quality. I think Hans has been very generous. I think lots of brand owners will not take that trade-off and say, um, I think they will look at finding ways to do it as well without without the carbon footprint, for sure. So, yeah, so there's a, there's a creative challenge for the industry there, isn't there, really? Sure, it's a creative challenge for the industry, but I, I think, you know, bigger than, bigger than the production emissions, and a step back from production, I think, is the messaging is what really needs to change, and, and the reporting. But in, in not too long from now, what we will expect uh, is that within companies, uh, those... We have this in our company, you know, the, the people that look at our, how we're progressing against our own carbon reduction targets. They will start looking and speaking with the advertising and marketing people and say, look, 
do you have any idea at all on how much carbon you're producing with, with this video? Because at the end of the day, in all of our targets in the so-called scope three emissions, which are part of our activities, but beyond our direct control, um, we will have to look on how we get to, to net zero. Yep. So just putting pressure, I guess, on, on your supply chain as well and encouraging them to, to reduce their own carbon footprint. Yeah, exactly. And this is where we come in as a, as a business because we are very much higher up, up in the chain of being in the industry of, of energy, power and data with a strong business focus around how we combine or how we can use uh, a digital and innovation to achieve greener technologies. Hans, I wanted to ask you a bit more about that from the brand perspective, um, because, you know, we were saying earlier that greenwashing is a concern for a lot of brands that might be sort of fearful of putting sustainability messaging in, in their um, ads. Um, and considering Hitachi is in the motor and vehicle sector, and, you know, there's a great deal of carbon emissions coming from that sector, were you fearful of accusations that, that any campaign you produce might be misleading? You know, what were the considerations that you had when you were thinking about doing this? I think it's it's a consideration which 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 there is always, and I think as a brand, the best you can do is to be open and honest, but at the same time being extremely authentic and very close to your brand values. And and I think we we are a company that does not traditionally like to shout from the rooftops about the, the things which we are doing, but if we want to do things, we want to do it in in a way which is clearly the way we operate as a business uh, and that's why i think explains the success of, of this film can i just ask a question in, in terms of i mean maybe hitachi isn't the best example because you sound like quite a progressive company but in, in terms of just looking at the market more generally we're heading towards in, in many countries uh, a recession there's a cost of living crisis is there a concern that given these other important things that businesses might put climate change initiatives and getting to sort of, you know, uh, net zero a bit further down the agenda, or they might be scared to discuss it or communicate it more broadly um, for fear of it looking like greenwashing and not really considering what's more important to consumers at this difficult time? It's a very good question. And, and yes, I think everyone... The, and, and also the, the research which which was done with Google it also shows that climate change is maybe not top of mind, uh, but that you know, has all to do with all the other elements you uh, you you, uh, you mentioned. Uh, and we, we have to say we made this film uh, is a year and a half ago, I believe, before COP26. The world was entirely different. But if you were to ask me now, would we make the same film again in the same way? I would say entirely yes. Because the biggest issue we are as a planet and we are as individuals confronted with is climate change. I think in more consumer sectors, though, Arvin, so, you know, obviously Hitachi is a big B2B. I think more, in, um, you know, we work for it with other clients in the consumer sector. And I think the answer is almost certainly not to communicate your sustainability credentials. Find out if you're genuinely a sustainable brand, your object is to sell. That's the best way you can solve um, the climate crisis or sustainability crisis or cost of living crisis. So, you know, for us, the, the, the first step is, are you better? Are you cheaper? Quality and price are still what people will buy on. And if all things given equal, if you are then sustainable, then it becomes the nod. 
people are not choosing. There's a very small number of people that are choosing sustainability first. You still need to be better and 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 better value or more durable. And that's where this enormous sort of do say gap comes in, which you have to be aware of. People say they want to buy sustainable, but when it actually comes down to it, people and the cost of living crisis will emphasize this. People will buy the cheaper or as good solution, not the more sustainable solution. So if you're a non-sustainable brand, you need to get your sustainability credentials. But that's not what you should be talking about. Um, you know, I think there's that that really is greenwashing for me. Is is non-sustainable brands selling themselves on their sustainability credentials if they're you know non-existent sustainability credentials? But I think as well that the world is heading towards what we're currently discussing about those wanting to talk about their green activities with potential risk of greenwashing, to rather having those industries which are more difficult to abate or which are making less progress with a much more prominent need to justify why they are lagging behind in their climate change journey. That's what I think we, we, we will see in, 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 in the years to come. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Hans. And thank you so much, Tom. It was a really interesting chat. I really like the idea of doing, just going out there and doing, and also the honesty and transparency about how you got most of the way there, but there were still some parts that you couldn't quite you know, uh, organically offset the carbon for. Uh, it's a really powerful message because one of the things that we notice with brands when they do these sorts of things, and there's a fear, genuine fear about greenwashing. And sometimes that holds brands back that probably should be communicating this, but it, maybe it's just better to go out there and do it in the way that's right for your business and, and make sure the messaging is right for your target audience as well. Thank you both so much for joining us. Nick, thank you for joining us once again. Also, a big thank you to our producer, Aidan Lyons from Rethink Audio. If you'd like to learn more about the AdNet Zero Awards and everything else that's going on at Adland, please visit our website, campaignlive.co.uk forward slash membership and join us today. Also, do remember to subscribe to the Campaign Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you all for joining us. Until next time, on behalf of the Campaign team, goodbye.